good morning once again. Thank you for joining us. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to uh, 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter 2, as we continue in our Solid Ground series, walking through the book of 1 Peter, looking for where we find solid ground, stable ground in, in unstable days. Um, and so as you turn in there, um, I'd like to thank uh, the two gentlemen who were up here uh, just a moment ago as we found out in a very late uh, notice that um, our normal worship team was not going to be available this morning. Um, two of my friends uh, from school, from life, uh, were able to jump in and help out. Um, Zach and Scotty represent uh, part of the people who made me who I am, continue to make me who I am. Um, they are um, good, dear friends who I've known for a very, very long time and are faithful. Um, you know, when we talk about community and we talk about uh, what Christian community is supposed to look like, what the church is supposed to look like, um, those are, are two examples of that in my own life, uh, men who will uh, encourage, support, but also hold me accountable and tell me when I'm uh, acting a fool. So um, they are, and they are just loyal, great men and very talented. So thank you guys um, for everything that you do all the time for me, always. So First uh, Peter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Um, and we've talked about how uh, God has called us to be elect exiles. That's the, the phrase Peter uses in the beginning of his letter, that we are elect exiles, that by God has chosen us. So a vertical relationship with God, we are elect, but because of that, we are become uh, exiles, horizontal relationship. This is not home. And so relationships here are harder and broken. Our relationships with one another, with the world, with our jobs, with everything is harder and different and broken because we are exiles. This is not our permanent residency. And we've talked about because we are these elect exiles, we are called to live different. This should matter. The fact that you have been bought by the blood of Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus, that should change the way you live, the way you work, the way you are a citizen, the way you are a person. Everything should go through that filter of, I am a Christian, and that should filter every decision we make. And so today, the passage we're going to look at today is kind of a case study in that. Today, we are going to evaluate one of the areas of our lives that many of us are going to very often compartmentalize. We put in this silo of, that's an over here thing. That doesn't come into my faith. That isn't something I bring to the dinner table. That isn't something I talk about at work. Because what we're going to talk about this morning is government and our relationship to it. And how do we, as these elect exiles, how are we to engage with the government that we are under? This idea of separation of church and state, what does that look like for Christians? So that's where we're going to go this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we will jump in. So please uh, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Um, Lord, we come to you this morning seeking rest in you. We come to you this morning seeking your presence. We come to you this morning expecting to encounter you, to hear from you. And so, Lord, whatever distractions and pain we might have brought into this place this morning, help us to put those aside. Help us to dwell and fix ourselves on you. Lord, we rejoice that you are king in control of all things all the time. We rejoice in your majesty and your glory. We rejoice in your trustworthiness. You are great and awesome, and we come this morning looking to rest in your presence. Lord, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So 1 Peter 2, we're going to be in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme 
or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So just as a quick review, as we've been walking through First Peter, God has done a great work to save us, as we talked about. We are elect exiles and give us this new identity as his children. That identity should mean something. It should matter. We should be living in response to it. Peter reminds us what God says to his people. He reminded us in chapter 1 that God says, Be holy as I am holy. That is our call, that we are to pursue holiness. How do we do that? Peter begins to walk that out in chapter 1 to obey the living eternal word of God. This will stand the test of time. He says at the end of chapter 1, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. We are to obey, pursue, knowing God deeper through the word of God. And then he says in the beginning of chapter 2, put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Put away these things, get rid of these things that will distract us from pursuing God, that derail us from our obedience to him. Peter says you are different. You are to live Differently, And you are not just different for sake of being different. You are different for a purpose. He says you are living stones. You are a royal and holy priesthood. You are a chosen race, a united people, marked by having received mercy from God. So live like it. Live like it matters. Live like something is different. Live as if something has been changed. But not only amongst other Christians. Don't only love each other. Yes, love each other, Peter says. He says, love each other with an unconditional kind of fervent, straining sort of love. But not only with one another, but as you engage with the world around you. Among all people, our faith should matter. It does matter. It should, as I said earlier, color every decision we make from the time we open our eyes in the morning to when we close them at night. And as we do that, Peter says in, verse 12, in chapter 2, verse 12, that as we do that, others will see that, will notice it, and it will have an effect on the way we work, on the way we are neighbors, on the way we are friends, on the way we engage with the world around us. This way of viewing and engaging the world affects all of the different aspects, including what many of us will consider the most secular of areas, government. Religion and politics, you're not supposed to talk about them. So we're going to talk about both of them at the same time and just get it right out of the way. Peter says, be subject to every human institution. Be subject. Put yourself under. Submit. Obey. This is actually a military term. It means to arrange the troops under the command of a leader in an orderly fashion. Everyone willingly steps into their role knowing their place in the military. Outside of that, it's used as an uh, in dealing with an attitude of cooperating, willingly going along. And note that Peter doesn't give a caveat here. It's not as long as they are on your team, as long as they're your candidate, candidate, your party, then be subject to them. No, he just says, be subject. Think of the context this is written in. They were not under a democracy. They were not under a representative form of government. This was Roman rule. Emperor Nero was the complete and absolute leader with no checks and balances to the authority that he had. 
And the Roman authority and the Christians never got along. Right from the jump, King Herod tries to kill Jesus as a baby. And that theme continues throughout the rest of his life until eventually he is strung up on a cross and murdered under the order of Roman government. From there, the Roman authority persecute, disrupt, arrest, and kill Christian after Christian. And it is this authority that Peter says, be subject to, submit to, obey. Why in the world would he do that? How in the world are they supposed to do that? How are we supposed to do that? For the Lord's sake to every human institution. Subject yourselves, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Because of God, that is why we obey the government. Because he is, in the, one, he is the one who is in control of all things all the time. Meaning any person who holds any kind of power was given that power by God himself. Jesus addresses this in John 19 when he's talking with Pilate. They're just having a casual conversation. Nothing strenuous or straining going on. He says, Pilate says to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you or to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Jesus understood all authority is given by and through God. It is God's control of all things all the time, meaning that we have the ability to submit to the authority above us, knowing that it was God who placed them in authority. And what we have known about God, we know he is always at work. We know that he knows all things. We know that he is good. We know that he has a plan. We know that he is righteous and holy and set apart. And so if he is in control of all things, and we know all of these things that we love and honor and worship about God, that means we can trust him when he says, be subject to all human institutions, knowing they came from and have their authority found in God. So you being subject to authority is not really about following the rules, trying to avoid getting into trouble with the law. It's really about your faith in God. Do you trust him? It's not about you. Christians aren't subject for themselves. They are subject for God. See, that's the mentality switch that we have to have. This is the change, that we are a new self, a new identity. These elect exiles, the mentality has to change. Paul says it in Galatians 2. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you come to understand that your life, once you become a Christian, once you have put your faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins... It's no longer about you. You no longer own that life. You were purchased with the blood of Christ for Christ. It changes your view of the world. So if your life is no longer your own and everything you do is about glorifying and making much of Christ, then even in your being subject to authority, there is a chance there to worship and glorify God. Give you a couple of examples. We all have to pay taxes every year. For the Christian, the question should not be, should you pay your taxes? Because Peter doesn't say, it doesn't say, if you like who is in charge and you agree with their plan on how to spend the money, then you should pay your taxes. But rather, subject yourselves, submit yourselves to the authority and pay your taxes. Jesus actually touches on this in every one of the Gospels. In Luke 20, a group come to him and say, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he, Jesus, perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. 
Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. At a time of oppression and evil, ungodly leadership that was going to use that money to persecute Christians later on, Jesus says, pay your taxes. So then, because we trust the one who is above the authority that we are paying, because we trust God in his godliness and his goodness, paying your taxes can be a way of worship to God. How about this? On a local, state, and federal level, there are currently many directives, mandates, guidelines, and instructions on things like how and where to gather, wearing a mask versus not wearing a mask, how and in what capacity can businesses operate, even how sports can be played, but amen that sports are being played again. Most of these things are not laws, right? Not laws in the sense of if you don't wear a mask, you're going to be arrested. But that doesn't change our responsibility as Christians. We are to be subject to the authority, regardless of if it's a strict law or a directive or mandate or whatever other jargon they want to try and use to soften it, we are to be subject to it. You following protocol, that's another one they use, in light of okay, I know that God has rescued me, redeemed me, and made me new by the blood of Christ, and I trust and believe in his goodness and his control of all things means I can wear a mask and jewel to the glory of God. And actually, Paul's going to take that a step further as he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, and he says to him, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul hit his knees to pray for the very same king who would end up giving the order to have him beheaded later on. Yes, Submit yourself, subject yourself to the glory of God, to the authority placed above you. But the Bible's going to take that further and say, seek the wellness of. Pray for the salvation of. Pray for and on behalf of the leadership of this city, state, country, and world, regardless of your views of those individuals, because regardless of who they are, they need the gospel and they are in need of a deeper relationship with Christ as individuals, yes, but also because of the weight and burden of leadership that they carry. And we've talked about how we as holy, a royal and holy priesthood have this ability to go to God on behalf of others, on behalf of those who don't know God. And we can offer up prayers on their behalf. It is a weighty responsibility that we have that we can lift those others up. And one of the weights and burdens that those in leadership carry is to, as he says in verse 14, punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. This is what government is supposed to do. This is what the judicial system is supposed to do. But we live in a fallen, broken, and dark world filled with fallen and broken people. The systems don't always run the way they are supposed to. The Pew Research Group states that at the end of 2018, the black imprisonment rate was nearly twice the rate among Hispanics and more than five times that among white people. So then, if the system is broken, how and why should we subject to it, submit to it? 
Because, I mean, we talked last week and we've said it already this morning that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's people. Why then don't we just retreat into ourselves, set up our own little compound, lock it down, have our own little Christian utopia, and not have to worry about what this broken world is doing, but let's just keep it amongst ourselves. We'll disengage from the world around us. Because that idea goes against the very reason you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are these things for and on behalf of others. We say it all the time here that we, when you become a Christian, you are saved, yes, from hell, saved from the wrath of God on sin, but you are also saved to be a blessing to others. We are the light of the world. This is not an argument or up for discussion. Jesus says you are the light of the world. Jesus himself, when he's praying in the garden on the night before the cross, he prays in John 17, and he prays not that God would scoop us up out of the darkness, but rather he prays that our, for our protection while we are here. When Peter and the apostles are threatened for preaching the gospel, they don't pray to be removed from Rome. They don't pray to be removed from this persecution. They pray to be emboldened and strengthened as they continue to preach the gospel. This is our call. This is what we have been saved to do, to be lights, not to be removed from the world, not to just, not to just go into solitude and hiding. And one of the ways that we can be the light of the world is to live in submission and subject to the authority that God has placed in control. Now, I realize that I have spoken more about government this morning already than in the total five years I've been here. And I understand that, I understand that government, especially when it's government and church, it makes people uncomfortable. You combine that with the current social climate, temperature, and we find our, and the, the fact this is an election year, everyone has an opinion on all of these things. And I'm sure as I have been preaching already this morning, you have at least once had that thought of, yeah, but. Yeah, but what about this? But what about if they do that? Because our natural inclination, when we buck up against something in Scripture that we don't like or agree with or makes us kind of squirm, we look for reasons and excuses why this doesn't apply, why it shouldn't matter, why it was written to a different people at a different time so it doesn't matter to us. And I know you have probably all had these thoughts and feelings because I myself have had them throughout this week as I have wrestled with this text. So what do we do when we hold certain beliefs and values and they are at times at odds or in direct conflict with the authority placed over us? How do we live that out? Well, Scripture is pretty clear that we don't get to rebel and have anarchy just because we don't like the person or the laws being made. Just because we don't agree with them. It is not be subject to the laws and rules and rulers that you agree with and like. Peter couldn't possibly mean that as he writes in the context under Roman law and rule. Now with that being said, yes, there is an exception to Peter's instruction of submitting to the authority of government. The exception is this. If the government above you asks, demands, writes into law something that is a direct violation of a command of God, we as Christians cannot obey that law. If we are being made to choose between being faithful to the government versus God and the laws and rules that God has, in, has put into place, God should win every time. Not just when we don't like what is being said. So some examples from Scripture. Exodus 1. The midwives were told by Pharaoh, the midwives in Egypt were told by Pharaoh, every time one of the, one of the slaves, one of the Jewish women gives birth to a baby boy, you should kill him. 
And the Jewish midwife and the midwives say, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to just kill babies. In Daniel 3, we studied a couple months ago, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are told that when the music plays, you are to hit your knees and worship this golden image. They say, no, we can't do that. That's in direct violation and direct opposition to the commands of our God. Daniel himself, in the same book, there's a command put out that you are only allowed to pray to King Darius for 30 days. Daniel says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to continue doing what I've always done and pray to the one true God. And he ends up having a sleepover with some lions. Peter himself, as we already referenced in Acts, in the book of Acts, is threatened under beating and the threat of death to stop preaching the gospel of Jesus, to stop preaching the good news. And Peter says, well, that's in direct conflict with Jesus and what he told us to go and proclaim the good news. So we're not going to stop doing that. See, these examples from Scripture are not, I don't like the law, it's not a very Christian law, so I don't want to follow it. It's annoying and I don't agree with it, so I'm just not going to do it. These were direct and clear opposition to the instruction and will of God. Daniel himself spends something like 70 years in government rule. Becomes a high-ranking government official, but he's still a slave and it's still foreign rule. He did not agree with or like every law that he not only was under, but had to enforce. But he submitted and subjected himself to the law above him. Scripture is going to say, be a good citizen until it comes into conflict with being a good Christian. That's the exception. Not, I don't like it, or I don't agree with it, so I'm going to rebel. You might have other yeah buts that you want to bring up. PastorTF at gmail.com, you're welcome to email me, and we can do the yeah but thing via email. We're not going to go into every rabbit hole this morning. Peter says, there's a reason why we do this. He says in verse 15, this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Why should we submit to the government even if it isn't expressly Christian in nature and value? Because one, for the will of God, so because of God, we've already covered that, and that two, by doing good we can put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Peter's already referenced this group in in verse 12 when he talked about those speaking against you as evildoers. There there are always going to be those who don't understand, but that's not going to stop them from speaking out against you, your faith, or the church. At the time as the New Testament church was beginning, the rumors going around were that these Christians were gathering and being cannibals. That if you were a Christian, you were a cannibal because... It got out that the Christians got together and worshipped and they would eat the blood or drink the blood and eat the flesh of this Jesus. Now, we know that as communion. We know that as bread and wine, bread and juice. But the word going out was that they're cannibals. They're actually eating flesh and blood. And so, though they didn't actually know the facts, the stories and the rumors got out that Christians were cannibals. That's ignorant speak. That's what Peter's addressing. And Peter says the best way to silence, which is literally to muzzle a dog, is to do good. So what is do good? Well, we saw in verse 14 that part of the governor's job was to punish the evil and praise those who do good. What's good in the eyes of the government? Those who submit to and are subject to the authority above them. So doing good in verse 15 is doing what Peter has already told us to do. He's just repeating it, only this time he's giving us the added incentive that as we do it, 
not only do we have the ability to worship and glorify God in it, but some of the unfounded and ignorant criticism will be muzzled based on our actions. Now, having said all of that, that does not mean blindly follow everything that the government does. And we just mindlessly follow along like lemmings. We as the church, we as Christians are called to call out sin when we see sin. To say that is wrong, that is injustice. We are called to stand and take action against those things. But the fact is we must find a way to express our dismay at some of the views and some of the behaviors of the government while also communicating a basic respect for the person and respect for the office which is ordained by God. We'll get to it in a minute, but verse 17 says, Honor all men, honor the king. One way we do that is to let our sorrow temper indignation. This doesn't mean you're only going to speak out when you agree with what the government says. It means that when you disagree, you will let the moral and social seriousness of the issue guard you from cheap, careless cynicism. It means we don't do personal attacks But rather, we stand up and say, this is wrong, this is unjust, this is sin, this is abuse. And we put a stand on those things. We say, that is not what the gospel is for. That is not what the church stands for. That is not right. You can do that. You can protest. You can go out. We as a church led and organized a march throughout our neighborhood to say that we are for justice. We are for the dignity of all people. You can do those things, and you can speak out when you disagree, but you can do it in a way that does not disrespect those in authority. So we have our why as to why we are living this way. We're living this way to glorify God, but how do we do this? Because it's complicated. How do we do this complicated role of being these elect exiles here, which means that our ultimate authority is God in heaven, but we are also at the same time under the authority of those here on earth, and those here on earth are not always in line with the authority of God. So how do we walk that tightrope? Peter's going to tell you in verse people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Live as people who are free. We are to live as free servants of God. That's what he says. Live as people who are free and as servants of God. So we're free servants. How does that make sense? Live as people who are free. What are we free from? Because of Christ, because of our faith in Christ, we are free from the slavery of sin that we were once under. We are free from the constraints of the old self that we have thrown off, right? Put off malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. Take that off, get rid of it. We're free from those constraints. Free from having to try and win or earn or impress our way into the family of God, which you can't do anyway. Free from having to act as though you have it all together because the very basis of Christianity says, I need a savior. I can't do this on my own. I need help. And so when you become a Christian, you are free from, I have it all together. I know everything and I'm fine all the time because the very basic understanding of being a Christian says, no, I don't. We are free to pursue Christ openly, honestly, fully, and completely, admitting our dependence and need for him and rest in the grace and mercy found through faith in Jesus. We're free from worry and doubt about how God feels towards us at any given moment. We're free from self-hate and guilt and shame. But in your freedom, Peter says, do not use it as an excuse to cover up and cloak evil. 
Do not use it as an excuse to cover up and cloak sin and rebellion and disobedience. We talked about this last week, that the holiness of God cannot be made secondary to, due to the grace and mercy of God. Just because we have grace and mercy as Christians, yes and amen, that doesn't mean we stop pursuing holiness. Yes, you are free. Yes, you are forgiven and you are new. But that just because you have grace and forgiveness doesn't mean you do whatever you want, whenever you want. And too often, Christians, under the guise of Christian liberty, decide that we don't have to always be pursuing holiness. And weirdly, this happens most of the time around other Christians. I don't have to be on all the time when I'm with my Christian friends and family because they know my heart, they know, they know who I really am, and we're all under grace. Peter says you're free, and you are free. Amen and amen. But don't forget that you are free with a purpose to serve and glorify God. You were bought by the blood of Christ. Your freedom, that freeing of guilt and shame and worry and fakeness, you are freed so you can pursue Christ openly and honestly with no doubt or reservation. All of the reservations, all of those things have been taken care of by Christ at the cross, which frees us to live differently all the time, not just when it's convenient or easy. And Peter's going to sum up what that means in verse 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the emperor. Honor everyone. Show respect and dignity to all people. Not just the people you like, not just the people you love, not just the people who can do something for you. All people. Treat all with respect and dignity. Because all people, regardless of who they are, were made in the image and likeness of God. They have within themselves value and worth because they were made in the image and likeness of God. Regardless of how they might use that life, and regardless of how they might use their, their existence, they still have worth and value and, and should be treated with honor and respect. Honor everyone means racism, sexism, elitism have no place in the kingdom of God, nor should they have a place among the people of God. Honor all people. Honor your barista. Honor your waiter. Honor mom and dad. Honor the person on the corner asking for food. Show dignity and respect to all people, not just when it's easy or convenient or you like them. Love the brotherhood is the next thing he says. Love with a, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, love with a genuine, true and pure, fervent, stretching, straining, intentional kind of love from a pure heart without other motives. Christian love amongst brothers and sisters in the church is to be unconditional love. It should be intentional love, not just playing nice, not just being neutral with one another, but seeking out opportunities to love and care for one another. Intentionally seeking out ways to show love, not just waiting for something to happen, waiting to be helpful, but rather being intentional to pursue each other in relationship so that we can be intentional to love one another in those relationships. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God. We are to have a healthy reverence and understanding of who God is, the creator and sustainer of all of of existence. A healthy reverence and understanding of who God is in relation to who we are. Understanding his power and authority. Understanding that we did not earn, win, or work our way to God. That anything that we have, any blessings we have, the grace and mercy given to us is given to us. It's not about us. It's about God and his holiness and his goodness and his justice and his love blessing us, calling us back to himself. And lastly, he finishes with honor the emperor. He's included in the all, 
right? He's, he's in all. He's in everyone. But I think sometimes we say, honor everyone, love everyone, but then we put politics and politicians and authority figures over in this other category. Peter understood that. He understood that then. We understand it now. And so he says, no, including those in authority. Including them in the honor and respect that is to be given to all. He's not to be feared, as we are to fear God, but he must be honored. See, first comes our absolute allegiance to God. We are elect exiles. This is not home. Our home is heaven. So first comes our absolute allegiance and love of God. And out of that flows an affectionate love for other believers as well. And a respect and care and dignity given to all people. As well as an understanding of the power and control of God allowing us to honor the authority put above us. All of these verbs, honor, love, fear, Honor again. All of them are stated in this tense that says, hey, it's a command. This is not a suggestion. This is not, hey, it's a good idea. Hey, if you got time. Hey, if you have some of the emotional, emotional bandwidth, try and do these things. He says it's a command, and B, it's a continuous action, which means not only it's not just you did it once. One time I honored some people. One time I showed dignity to the guy that's asking for food outside the McDonald's. I helped him out one time, so I'm good. I was nice to somebody once Occasionally, I'm good. No, it's a continuous action. You continuously honor everyone. You continuously love the brotherhood. You continuously fear God. You continuously honor the emperor. Keep doing it. Don't stop. Though the circumstances may change, shift, and fluctuate, God doesn't, and neither does his word. He is in control of all things all the time, and his instruction to us does not change. Because of who God is and what he has done for us in saving us, in blessing us, in empowering us, we should live like people who have been saved, who have been blessed, and who have been empowered to live in a way that is counter to what the world says and that brings glory and honor to God. This being subject to authority is not a burden that has been put on us, but rather it is an opportunity to be the lights of the world that God has made us to be. Brothers and sisters, you have been given an opportunity to be the lights of the world God has made you to be. Do not shrink from it or ignore it or hide from it, but rather trust in this God who made you and knows you and loves you so much he would send his son to die for you. Trust in the Holy Spirit's empowerment that you can live into this life and you can be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Not for your sake, but for the Lord's. For it is the will of God that we would do these things. Peter says it's writing to a time in a time under persecution, under a time where his life is going to be taken from him by the very government he's telling them to subject themselves to, to submit themselves to. He says, be subject, because it's not about us. It's about God bringing glory and honor to him. So let's pray. God, you have called us to um, live as lights in the world. You have called us to be your representatives here. You have invited us to be part of the redeeming and restoring and renewing of all things that is happening in this world. You don't need us, but you choose us and use us. And that's amazing to us. But God, we know that you would never call us into something and then not empower us, not 
You would never call us into something and then just leave us to figure it out on our own, but rather you have given every Christian the power and access to you and the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we read things like be subject to the authority, even if we might not like it, agree with it, we know we have the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. And Lord, this does go counter to oftentimes counter to our very natural instincts. We want to be a blessing. We want to be a light to the world, but it's sometimes very hard. Lord, help us to be intentional. Help us to not just be killing time, waiting until Christ comes back, but rather to be intentional with the way we live, with every interaction, so that we can honor all people. That we don't see them as wasting time. We're not just waiting until the next moment, the next opportunity to glorify you, but we take every moment captive, every thought captive, every interaction captive, so that we can worship you in those things. God, this is hard and weighty and complicated and messy. And we can't do it without you. Not well. Lord, give us a continued hunger and thirst to know you deeper, to know you more, so that we can continue to pursue you in all that we do. Lord, if there is anyone here, if anyone in listening to this does not know you, has not put their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, has not learned and and experienced what it means to be a child of God, I pray that right now in this moment, whatever walls, whatever hindrances, whatever hurdles they're putting up, the Holy Spirit would do what he does and knock those things aside and show the grace and mercy and love available to all people through the blood of Christ. That they would put their faith in Jesus and for the first time experience what it means to have a new relationship with you. God, we thank you and praise you for all that you are, all that you've done, all that you are doing, all that you're going to do. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.